What do you say? Okay. Thank you. Uh, thanks, David. It's good to be here with you today in this service. And children, I guess, are dismissed. Is that right? Wedding songs have changed a lot since the time that Jeanette and I got married. Back in those days, uh, you would hear, I love you truly. Uh, sometimes the Lord's Prayer, or the song, Oh, Promise Me. Today, you hear anything from Beatles to Petra to Stephen Curtis Chapman to something you've never heard of before in your life. And that's okay because it reflects some of the cultural changes uh, that have taken place in our country. Uh, today, we're going to take a reverse trip to a long time ago and look at a wedding song from 1000 B.C. Open your Bible with me to Psalm 45, please. Psalm 45. This wedding song was written in honor of a king, probably one of David's descendants, maybe even the great King Solomon. And we're not going to read the whole song, but I'm going to pick out from it a statement that refers to Jesus Christ's messiahship. And then we're going to turn into the New Testament to see how the New Testament authenticates that this talks about Jesus. I hope you have your Bible with you. I'd like you to turn there to Psalm 45, and we're going to look at verse 6, where it says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of joy above all thy fellows. Now, if you turn, please, to Hebrews chapter 1 where the writer of this New Testament book is talking about the superiority of Jesus Christ over all things, including the angels. And in order to substantiate that, the writer goes back to the Old Testament and pulls out some sentences and verses from the Old Testament to show that Jesus is greater than the angels. For example, in verse 6 it says, And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, that's referring to Jesus, he, God, says, let all the angels of God worship him. So that's what happened to Bethlehem. When the firstborn came into the world, the angels of God worshiped him. And it says, of the angels, God says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. In other words, God has created the angels to be servants. And he compares them to wind and fire, which are like servants. But, he says, of the Son, capital S, he says, God says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated lawlessness, therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy companions. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we look at these verses this morning, I pray that we will learn some exciting things about you that will affect the way that we live. Help us to see you as the royal Messiah who is exalted above all. And may you be exalted to the throne of our lives 
And this we pray in your name. Amen. The main theme that I see in the text that we've looked at is this, that Christ is destined to an everlasting throne. There's nothing that can stop it. Jesus Christ is destined to reign forever and forever on the throne of his kingdom. Well, that's because he humbled himself in coming to the earth in the incarnation, which then led to his voluntary self-sacrifice on the cross. I remind you of what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, that although Jesus existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to selfishly. But he emptied himself. And he goes on to say, he became a man and humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Therefore, also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. And that name is L-O-R-D, Lord. That is the name that God has given to Jesus. He is Lord, and one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. Now, at this season of the year, we celebrate the, his coming and his birth as one of us, but it's important for us to remind ourselves that he is no longer the babe in a manger. Jesus Christ has been resurrected in glory, and he lives an immortal life. He is in heaven at the right hand of God his Father. He has been given authority and power to reign and to rule over the eternal kingdom of God. But listen to me, what he really wants and what he deserves is another throne, and that is the throne that is in your heart and mine. That is the throne that he still seeks and desires because he wants to reign in our lives. And folks, he deserves to. He has claimed his throne of the eternal kingdom, but he is still seeking that throne in your heart. And I hope as we look at the text a little further this morning that you will determine that Jesus Christ indeed is worthy. Now, there are four insights in our text that I want us to look at and after we've seen these, I think you will agree with me, he deserves to be on the throne of your life. The first insight is the insight regarding his nature. His nature. We see this in verse 6 and then again in verse 7. I want you to pay attention to this because there's a, a change of wording here that is very significant. It says in verse 6, Thy throne, I'm going back now to Psalm 45, Thy throne, O God, Jesus Christ is spoken to here as whom? Who is it? As God. Thy throne, O God, it says. But then notice in verse 7, it says, Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee. And so the insight we get about his nature is this, that he is God, but he is distinguished from God. You notice that? He is spoken to as God himself, and then the psalmist says, God, your God, has anointed you. Again, speaking of Jesus. How can this be? 
How can he be God and yet distinguished from God? Well, the answer is that he is both. He is God in the first place. In Jeremiah chapter 23, the prophet says, Behold, the days are coming when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, declares the Lord. He will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. God says, I'm going to raise up a king who will be a branch off of David's dynasty, but his name will be the Lord who is our righteousness. So you see, Jeremiah's prophecy says, here's a human who is a descendant of David who will also have the title or the name Lord. We see the same thing in Isaiah, the more familiar text. A child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. What's the next? Does anybody know? The Mighty God. A child will be born. His name will be Mighty God. What we see here is that Messiah who is to be born will be God. But he's also other than God. Now that's a paradox, and it throws some people into a theological whirlwind that they can't get out of. But it's not hard if you understand what the New Testament says about God. That God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God's nature is that he is triune. The Messiah is not the Father, nor is he the Holy Spirit. The Messiah is the Son of the Godhead. So he is God himself, but he is other than God. I remind you of what Jesus said. I and the Father are, does anybody know? One. Wait a minute. Jesus, you're one. He's one. That's two. No. Jesus said, I am not the same as the Father. But I and the Father are one. Again, it goes to the mystery of God's trinity. And so you need to understand this about the nature of the Messiah. That he is God but he is distinguished from God as well. Therefore, because of who he is, we dare not ignore his words. That's why the writer of Hebrews goes on to say a few verses later that we dare not neglect or ignore this salvation. How shall we escape, he says, if we neglect the salvation that is brought by this unique one who is God and God the Son. Now there's a second insight into Messiah about his character that we see here in Psalms. Verse 7 says, 
that he loves righteousness and hates iniquity or wickedness. The first insight is that the king is divine, but the second insight is this, that the king is holy. When it speaks about him loving and hating, it's more than emotional ideas. It reveals the choices and the qualities of his life. It reveals that in his very heart of hearts, Jesus always loved righteousness and hated wickedness. He did not choose it. He chose righteousness always. That could be said of none of us. Because there are times when we choose wickedness because of the sin that is in us. But of Jesus, it is said that he loves righteousness. That's an insight about his character. He loves righteousness but hates wickedness. The king is holy. And that is very significant. We must understand that when we invite this king to the throne of our lives, he is going to bring with him this love of righteousness and hatred of wickedness. And will begin working in our lives to transform us inwardly, to change us, so that we will reflect him. We cannot invite him to the throne of our lives and continue on like we've always been in the past. Because this king is a holy king and he demands change in our lives and he brings the power to accomplish it. An insight regarding his character. First, the king is divine. Secondly, the king is holy. It's the third insight that we see in verse 7. It's an insight about his incarnation. And simply put, it's this, that he is one of us but above us. Notice how it's put in this psalm. God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of joy above thy fellows. The word fellows here means thy associates, your companions. Remember, this is a wedding psalm, and it's being written about the bridegroom, the king who's getting married. And the king has with him people that are a part of his wedding party that he's invited to share in this occasion. The Lord Jesus Christ came down to this earth in his incarnation that he might become one of us and be a companion to us, an associate of us. That's why in Hebrews chapter 2, it goes on to say that he partook of flesh and blood like his children. He partook of our humanity in the incarnation. That's the marvelous thing that we remember at this time of year in particular. I remind you of what the angels said to the shepherds. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Notice that. Christ the Lord, born a man, for you. This is the marvelous insight about his incarnation, that he is one of us, although above us. He is fully man, and he understands absolutely everything that you can go through in your life. If you sit in a hospital room, as I did yesterday, with a family waiting news, 
that the doctors were going to bring regarding their loved one and whether she would live or die. And you feel the anxiety in their hearts, the tears in their eyes. It is wonderful to be able to reassure them that Jesus understands everything they're going through because he's a man. He's one of us. If you're here today in uncertainty about your future, Jesus identifies with you in that. He, he knows how you feel. He sympathizes with you. Some have come to worship this morning in deep sorrow at this Christmas time because somebody is not here this Christmas that was here last Christmas. And in this year, that loved one has been taken away from them in death. I talked with a couple like that just before this service. Jesus understands that because he's one of us. That's the wonderful insight we have here in the incarnation, that he came to be one of us, though he himself is above us, because he is God as well as man. When we receive him as the ruler under the throne of our lives, we receive a Savior who is able to completely identify with us, to be compassionate with us, and sympathetic toward our needs. But there's a fourth insight I need to get to quickly, and that is an insight regarding his salvation. We've had three insights thus far from the psalm that this royal Messiah is divine. Secondly, he's holy. Third, he's human. And now we're going to see an insight regarding his salvation. It is this, that he possesses superlative joy, but he shares it. Notice it says, God thy God has anointed thee with the oil of joy above thy fellows. Jesus Christ possesses the greatest joy that can be known in the universe. It's his. But he doesn't hang on to it to keep it. He shares it with us. You say, what is the joy of Jesus? Well, first of all, it's the joy of being God. God has no greater joy than in himself. As the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he delights in himself, and rightly so, because he is perfect in all of his attributes. There's nothing about him that would be unhappy. Now, when we say God is joyful, it doesn't mean that God is a great comedian. There are times when I think Jesus laughed when he was on the earth. I don't know how you can read some of the things he said without laughing. I think Jesus had joy in that sense. But we're talking here about a delight within the soul that goes beyond the outward circumstances. He possesses a joy that is out of this world, literally. I wish Chris Farley could have known that joy. I wish that someone, when he was here a year ago, some one of us might have come across his path and realized that though he made many of us laugh in his comedy routines and in his movies, he was dying inside. So often humor erupts out of a wounded heart. How many young comedians have there been in the last few years who have died because of the abuse of alcohol and drugs and food? What is that telling us? That though that there, was, there, were, there were funny things about his life and he can make all of us laugh, 
Inside, he had no joy. Here's the insight regarding salvation. When Jesus comes into your heart, when he's on the throne of your life, he brings joy. He brings healing for the wounds that tear us up otherwise. He fills up the emptiness that we have inside that we can't fill up with booze or drugs or calories. Jesus brings that when he's on the throne of the life. Therefore, to give him your heart is to enter into a kingdom of joy. To allow him to be on the throne of your life is to allow him to bring you joy that comes only from God himself. And so the insight about his salvation is that the king is gracious. He's gracious because he gives his joy freely. He gives it to whoever will allow him to come in and be on the throne of their hearts. What have we learned about the royal Messiah? In this psalm, it is that he's destined to an eternal throne. But I repeat, the throne that he really desires is the one that is in your heart. Some of you have thought about that, but you have never allowed him to really come in and be on the throne of your heart. You've said something like, I don't know that I can trust him, or I don't really want him to rule my life. I want to rule my life myself. I'm afraid if he comes into my life and is on the throne of my life, I'll have to do something I don't want to do. Those are all such bad reasons for not receiving the royal Messiah, the Savior. The Scripture says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's not going to be sour or bitter in your life. He's going to be sweet and bring joy where now there's pain. I brought with me this morning one of my more astute theological books. It's called Green Eggs and Ham by Dr. Seuss. Now, some of you are just a few years away from this book, or maybe you learned to read. But in this, this children's book, there is this creature called Sam I Am. And Sam I Am is a bit of a pest to the cat. He runs by him several times, and, and finally the cat says to us who are reading the book, that's Sam I Am, that's Sam I Am. I do not like that Sam I Am. But Sam I Am comes back around, and he offers to the cat something to eat. And he says, do you like green eggs and ham? I do not like them, Sam I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. Would you like them here or there? Oh, I do not like them here or there. I would not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam I am. Would you like them in a house? Would you like them with a mouse? And he goes on to offer the cat green eggs and ham in lots of different situations and different things. Finally, the cat gets into the sea to get away from this pestering little thing called Sam I Am. And he says, I do not like them, Sam I Am. You do not like them, so you say. But try them, try them, and you may. Try them and you may, I say. Sam, if you will let me be, I will try them. You will see. Ah, he tries the green eggs and ham. 
Say, I like green eggs and ham. I do. I like them, Sam I am. I would eat them in a boat. I would eat them with a goat. I will eat them in the rain and in the dark and on a train and in a car and in a tree. They're so good, so good, you see. Now, what's the moral of this little tale? There are lots of things that we say we don't like until we've tried them. And having Jesus on the throne of your life is one of those. And some of us have had all kinds of reasons why we don't want to invite Jesus onto the throne of our lives. But oh, if we would just do it, then we would see how sweet it is. Then we would say, as did the cat, oh, it's so good, so good, you see. Then we would say, why didn't I do this before? My friend, this royal Messiah is destined to reign on the eternal throne. There will be no other kingdom but his. You will be either in that kingdom and enjoy eternal life, or you will be out of that kingdom in eternal death. Jesus today wants to come onto the throne of your heart. That's the throne he's seeking so that he can bring his joy and make you a part of his eternal kingdom. Will you let him get on the throne of your life today? Taste and see for yourself that he's good. Let's pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I, I hope that you will make that decision today if you've not done it before. To ask the Lord Jesus to come onto the throne of your life. Come into you and save you from your sin. And you will get off the throne and let him reign and bring his joy, his kingdom to you. If you are willing today by faith to receive him as your Savior and Lord, and to put him on the throne of your life, which he so deserves. Would you just be willing to lift your hand and then put it down? And by that act, simply say, I am today receiving Jesus Christ on the throne of my life. Is there one here like that who would make that decision? God bless you. Yes. Thank you. When he comes, he comes to bring himself and his righteousness. He comes to bring his joy and all the difference. You can do that by just praying something like this. Lord Jesus, come into my life and take the throne of my life. I give it over to you. Forgive my sins. And give me the joy of your eternal life. And he promises that whosoever will call upon him will be saved. Let's sing a little chorus with our heads bowed. I think all of you know it. Into my heart, into my heart. 
Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. All of my heart, all of my heart, take all of my heart, Lord Jesus. Take all today, take all I pray, take all of my heart, Lord Jesus. Let's stand together with our heads bowed. I wonder if you can say today that Jesus is on the throne of your life. If, if that is an assurance that you have, that Jesus is in your life on the throne as your king and your savior, would you just lift your hand? If he's there within you on the throne of your life? You know, that leaves a lot of us in between somewhere, doesn't it? Where is he today in relation to you? And if he's not on the throne of your life, why isn't he? Because that's where he deserves to be. That's what he seeks. Give it to him now. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we go into this blessed week of Christmas, you'll be reigning in our lives in such a way that your joy will be evident, your life will be real. Our lives will be transformed. And help us to be looking for those around us who need that joy and who are trying to find it in the wrong places. We honor and worship you as the royal Messiah who is divine and human and holy and gracious. And we bless you and give ourselves to you as we leave here today. Amen. Merry Christmas and God bless you each one. We're dismissed. Thanks.